good morning, Austin. Good morning, sir. How are we doing? Pretty good. Well, welcome to the Rooted and Logos podcast. My name is Brad. I'm joined this week by Austin. I guess. Uh, Carter is a little under the weather. Um, I think the Ohio Valley mode of let's be 70 on one day and then 40 and 30 the next day has gotten him a little under the weather. So we are going to miss out on his insight this week. But Thursday, we'll have a special guest uh, for that episode. So we'll we'll get to that Thursday. A little teaser. little. Um, oh, yeah. He's special yeah. for sure. So he is special. Yeah. So anyway, uh, my name, I've already said that. Anyway, uh, so we're back with episode 37. Uh, Today we're going to get into Romans chapter 8 and dive into what that has implications of. And and it's pretty cool. But I want to start just with a little bit of a, a, just something exciting that happened this week. Um, After 26 years of not winning a championship, the Atlanta Braves are World Series champions. And uh, that made me very happy. I don't know, uh, Austin. If you look up above you, there's a little a little spot on my ceiling where the I guess the popcorn plaster or whatever it's called is is chipped missing, off, chipped yeah. off. Uh, that was from me. I it was either I think it was after the last out when they made the last out. I like jumped or something and hit my hand because the ceiling's really low. Hit my hand on it and chipped off some of the some of the plaster. <laughs> I was very excited. You're not a fan. Not a fan no. at all. No. You know, we can get into like the theological implications of that if I'm that excited about sports. But but you know what? It's okay to be a kid every now and then and enjoy. Hey, re- <clears throat> rejoice with those who rejoice. Yes, and the Braves were rejoicing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very excited. It was funny because um, my grandpa is some uh, someone who has liked the Braves and watched them ever since I was a kid too. He's he's one of the reasons why I'm a Braves fan, and uh, mainly because they were on TV in the '90s, right? So. He called it, the game ended at like 11 30, 12 o'clock. And my grandpa is 80 and he goes to bed at like 9 30, 10 o'clock every night. <laughs> and so, normally in these situations, I'd call and be like, Oh, did you see that? That's awesome. Well, he called me at like 11 30, 11 45 and was like super excited. You could just hear it in his voice wow. that, you know, because again, it's something that we shared together and something that, uh, we haven't experienced in, in 20, Six. 26 years. Wow. So, well, and, Funny last story, and I'll we'll move on to Romans. But I like to have a little filler, so we're not just doing thirty minute episodes. Some icebreakers, yeah. <laughs> Ninety five. I'll never forget this. And, and my dad, he listens to this, so he'll he'll get to hear my rant on him. Last week, I apparently made an imita- uh, imitated him or something, and he was like, "That wasn't a good imitation of me." I'm like, well, you know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but so ninety five Braves in the World Series, playing against the Indians. I am seven years old no i probably would have yeah i would have been seven so because it's in october i'm not pretty anyway so seven years old and i'm watching the game and it's bedtime i'm like i really want to watch the game dad's like no it's bedtime you gotta go to bed you got school in the morning uh, very upset so hour i go to bed begrudgingly and about two hours later i get woken up and he goes come in here and so i walk in there and i see the brave celebrating the win i'm like that's awesome that's cool i go back to bed wake up and I, I remember this, and, and he may not, and that's okay. I was very mad. Why didn't you let me stay up to watch the game? They won the World Series. And later, it took a while. took maybe a year or two, maybe even longer. I was a teenager, and he was like, yeah, I should have let you stay up for that. So you didn't make me go to bed this year, Dad. I stayed up and watched the whole game. <laughs> go Braves. Anyway. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I haven't held on to that for 26 years. Not I haven't. No, no, not even fine. a little bit. It's fine. No. So anyway. Just like when my mom made me not go to DC Talk and they broke up like the next year. Wouldn't let me go see DC Talk and then they broke up. Of course, looking at it now, it's probably I still it's don't, probably okay. I mean, it's fine, it's but okay. there's music is still great. Anyway. Anyway. Anywho. So we are going to dive into Romans 8. Just a little heads up. There are a couple verses there that could get us into some hot water that, that are pretty controversial. I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time on those this time around. We're going to tell you what the passage says, what the Bible says. We might... You know, glean a little bit from a couple commentaries and a couple thoughts that we've had, but we're not going to spend a ton of time in this issue this week. Yeah. Now, when we get into Romans nine, it's going to be a little more. It's going to be harder for us to to not d- dive into it. Yeah. In Romans eight, it's only a couple verses. They're important verses. We're not trying to minimize that, but we can focus our efforts and our discussions elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, as opposed to Romans nine, where it's it's going to be pretty in in our face. So that's the whole chapter. Yeah. Um. So next week is going to be the week that we're going to make some people mad, I think. I don't know. 
<laughs> well, it, it encourage you guys. If you have a different view take, uh, it's great. Yeah. Um, listen, glean what, glean from it what you can, but don't just automatically say, you know what, they don't believe what I believe, so I'm not going to, I'm going to discount them. Well, and, and Isaac last week um, was on the show, and before he was on, he sent me a link to a a, a debate to watch, Which and I want to. And watch so that. this week, I'm I'm going to be watching that. So I'm going to hear, try to hear all viewpoints, and and, and because honestly. I have the way I lean, but I'm open to the if there's it's, compelling yeah. evidence that suggests things that I don't believe. Let let's look into it, right. and I'm okay with it. And that's it. Our our minds are open to scripture. If scripture says something different, then we're going to go that way. And it's that mentality of okay, as we're reading it, we're going to go with what it says. Okay, as in if it says something, we're we're going to go with it. So what what we're doing is we read through scripture. We take it at face value. What it says, we believe it. <laughs> but then as we get into heavy topics, that's when we start digging in. That's when we look at words, word usage versus word placage. Why is it placed here? And we get into that. As we get in towards the end of this chapter, we're, we're looking at face value. What it says is what how we're going to take it. And then we're going to get into the deeper um, just word usage and placage next week. Right. So, we like you said, we encourage you to keep an open mind to Scripture, keep an open mind to the ideas and the thoughts that, that we are going to bring to the table, just like we're doing for anybody else and, and for the other side of these arguments that, again, don't need to be divisive. They don't need to split families, churches, friendships. Mm-hmm. They don't need to do any of that. They, they are our human attempt to grapple with non-human ideas, right? <laughs> And, yeah. and, and very <laughs> lofty ideas that, that we're not going to grasp. And, and honestly, when we get to heaven, God is not going to say, well, you did not believe in predestination. You, you're you done. Get out. Right. God is not going to say, you did believe in predestination. Get out. You're done. It's not going to happen. Just yeah. the same with Revelation. You're not, oh, you weren't post-millennial? That's it. We're not letting you in. Like yeah. that's These are not issues that need to divide. No. Nope. Because again, like we talked about when we, when we referenced, or when we talked about losing your salvation, I think I referenced it last week or a couple weeks ago, the end goal is still the same. No matter how we get there when it comes to salvation, as far as were we predestined, were we not, were we, was it foreknowledge, the end result's the same. We need to win people to Christ. We need to share the love of Christ with those around us. We need to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that's the bottom line. Doesn't matter how we get to that point, it's Jesus. Yep. So, as long as, with the one little caveat, as long as when it comes to salvation, you're not living in constant fear of losing your salvation. That's an issue, right? I think. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let's, uh, let's get rolling with Romans 8. I'm going to read the first part. We'll jump in over in Austin. We'll read the second part, and then we'll dive in and just kind of break it down verse by verse. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, but to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what, it, for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8. Romans 8, man. Good stuff. So let's jump up, jump back up to verse 1. Well, real quick, one of the distinctions that I've seen in this is there is a there are two sections in Romans 8. Your first 17 verses, which are actually the verses that I read, talk about just kind of the personal implications of salvation and the personal implications of living by the Spirit, of having the Spirit in you. Uh, the second half are cosmic, so there's going to be more abstract, a little more applying to everyone and not just the personal implications, the, the, the second half, 17 through 39. Yeah. So just kind of keep that in mind as you go through it. This, there's a little bit of a shift in, in tone when we get about halfway through the passage. I think it's interesting. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 30 times in Romans, 20 times in chapter 8 alone. Hmm. So the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times out of 30 in one chapter. Wow. God is mentioned 16 times in this, and Jesus is mentioned 10 times. And they are mentioned more frequently in Romans 8 than anywhere else in Romans. But the Spirit's importance is especially highlighted. Yeah. So, I mean, the point is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is highlighted in this. It is His work and His, you know, His function in our lives is, is really what Paul is, is focusing on in this, in this section. Again, no chapter breaks, no verses in the, in the letter itself, but... I do think they've done a good job of showing where things shift a little bit. Yeah. So let's dive into verse one. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's he is piggybacking right off of wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's piggybacking right off of that idea yep. that God and, and Christ and the Holy Spirit, that is why we are able to be free from the law free from the bondage that the law produces because we can't live up to it. It's because of Christ. Yeah. And we're no longer condemned. So keep going here. It says, for the law of the, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So, you know, we talked last week about, about the law 
about its importance. It is still valid for us today, but we can't live up to it. We are unable to perfectly fulfill the law. The law, what does it say in, in, in Romans 7? Shows us what sin is. Yeah. Right? The law shows us our need for a Savior, shows us that we fall so short of God's standard of perfection. Yeah. But God. Yep. And that's where he's going with this. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's an amazing thing. Oh, yeah. That we are able to live this life of freedom. You know, you hear a lot of times people say, well, I don't want to be a Christian. I'm not going to be a Christian. There's so many rules you have to follow. That, yeah. That's, that's yeah. not... People mistake freedom for being able to do whatever you want. Yep. That is not freedom. Freedom is knowing that you are loved by a Savior so much that your natural tendency to to sin and disobey God and to live a, an immoral life can be turned around. And you can live in this idea, I'm no longer a slave to my natural desires. I'm a slave to the one who died. Created and, all things. Who created all yeah. things. And that's true freedom. Yeah. True freedom is knowing that you do not have to be bound by your evil intentions and your evil desires. Yeah. So, verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So... Well, keep just finish verse 4. Yeah. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, God sent his Son, the law has been weakened by our flesh. As in, here's the law, but we cannot obtain that law because of our flesh. And so, God sent his Son in the image of sinful flesh, even though he was the complete perfect image of God, he was sent in the image of sinful flesh to defeat that, to condemn sin in flesh, so that when we die, when we die to Christ, again, our flesh dies. We are saying, no, we're not going to keep doing this. And at the end of the age, our sin is left behind in our sinful body, right. and we go to glory. So, the question that I, that comes up for me, verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. What could the law not do? And the answer is, it could not justify us. Right. The law could not save us. Yeah. Well, And it's because we did not have the capability or the fortitude to do that. Why? Because sin. Because sin. Just a just a big circle there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So moving on, verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I mean, it exactly what it says. Yeah. If you are living according to the flesh if you're living out your your fleshly sinful desires it's death you are you are pretty much giving you your own death sentence but if you are living and putting your mind on things of the spirit as of putting your things on heavenly things it says but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace so well do I mean, that <laughs> right so i think paul's making a distinction here between believers and unbelievers and he's talking about those who set their minds on things of the flesh. Those are, those are the unbelievers. Those are the people who are, their sole purpose in life is to feed the natural cravings of their hearts. Now, doesn't mean they can't be quote-unquote moral people. Doesn't mean they can't be good people, generous people. Doesn't mean they can't be nice people, right? Right. It just means that because they are unredeemed, because they don't have that saving faith in Christ, ultimately their goal is to feed their own, feed their own desires, and to do what feels good to them. No, it's living their best life here and now. Exactly. Which, yeah, if if you're not living for the Spirit, if you're not living for Christ, then you might as well. Yeah, this, this is this the best, is the it's, best go- yeah. it's gonna be. It's gonna yeah. be, this is the best it's gonna get for you. So, and then you look at the believers, those who set their minds on the Spirit, those who are, those who are indwelled by the Spirit. We've talked about this as marks of a true believer. Fruit is gonna come out of that. It's yeah. gonna be natural. It's not gonna be perfect. It's not gonna be immediate necessarily. But it's going to happen. You're going to see fruit. Yep. You're going to see some branches that have died. You're going to see some yep. fruit, some bad fruit that comes out because, again, our sinful nature is still there. Yep. We'll always be there this side of heaven. But you will see new growth, yeah. new buds, and you will see fruit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You and should. You should. Well, and if you don't, like we said, 
there's an issue. And that's something that's where that that is where work out your own salvation with fear and trembling comes into play. Yeah. Is that you need to go to God and 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 get that reassurance from him. Yeah. And know that that you have that saving faith. Discussing like we have before, being at war with God. If you are not on his side, you are his enemy. So picking up in verse seven, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot. If you have a mind that is so bent on the flesh and you are not following God, you cannot follow his law. It's impossible. So, verse eight, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Like, that's immense. It is. If you are not living for Christ, if you are not following his law and you are living in the flesh, you can't even please him. I mean, it says throughout scripture how he desires all to be saved, but he doesn't want anything to do with you. And at the end of the age, you will be the one where he looks at and says, I never knew you. Yeah. And if that doesn't hit you now, it I don't know what will. <laughs> don't let it hit. Don't don't wait until it hits you then. Right. Yeah. Right. Because it's too late, obviously, at that point. And I just I think it's so important to to and I, we say this a lot, but I think it's so important to just keep pounding this in that speaking specifically about unbelievers right now, your good deeds, the things you do that are morally acceptable here on earth, those those ph- philanthropic things you do, the the donations you make. The things you do to to help end hunger and to help this, that, and the other, it doesn't please God. All that's doing is making yourself feel better. What pleases God is that saving faith and that and having that relationship with Him. Yeah. And even then, our good deeds are as filthy rags when you're not looking at it through the blood of Christ. So it's just so important for you all to understand that, you know, you talk about why would God send good people to hell? There are no good people. There are no good people. Yeah. You know, um, no one's good, no, not one. No one is good, no, not one. It, it, it's so important for us to understand that we are so sinful and we are so, our flesh is so opposed to God, hostile to God, verse 7. It doesn't submit to God's law. It can't submit to God's law, those who are not in Christ. Right. It's so important to understand that we are so sinful that apart from Him, nothing we're going to do is going to be enough. Nothing we, we can do or say or, or no amount of money we can give, no amount of charity we can do, no amount of holding the door open for the elderly lady walking in, those things are not enough to get you into heaven to make you a good person. Yep. Because it's, you're not going to make you're not going to be a good person in God based on God's standards. Now maybe yep. again, earthly standards, yes. Well, yeah, you might be a great guy in earthly standards, but you're but in God's rags. eyes. Yeah. Yeah. In God's eyes you're not, and so it's just so important for the unbeliever to come to a knowledge of their sinfulness and, and gain an understanding of their sinfulness. And for the believer to not get apathetic towards people, we say, oh, they're, they're good people. They're fine. That's not it. Yeah. We need to be sharing Christ and showing people that he is the only way. I've referenced, I'm getting on a tangent here, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I referenced, a, I think on this podcast at some point, the Penn, the Penn Gillette video where he was given a Bible. Yeah. And he made this comment. Penn, Penn Jillette, for those of you who don't know, is the Penn and Penn and Teller, a very famous magician group. Very talented people, very good performers, pretty funny. But also, Penn specifically is a staunch atheist. Yeah. Very hostile to anything, of, openly hostile about the things of God. But this was years ago. He was given a Bible at a show. The guy said, you know what? I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm preaching. I'm, I'm proselytizing. I am sharing my faith with you. And Penn made this comment, and it was very profound from him, and you can tell it affected him. You can tell he was very affected by this. He says, if you believe you have the only way to avoid hell, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them about it? Yeah, yeah. Strong words. Yep. Strong words. And and even, I've had people, I've told this to people, and they're like, well, I don't know if you hate them necessarily, but... You do. But you do, don't you? If you believe you have the only thing that is going to keep them away and keep them out of eternal damnation and eternal punishment, eternal suffering, eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. You have to hate them to not tell them. The the one I like is the the ideal of you see someone running off a cliff. They're going to plunge to the death. They're going to die. And you're just going to sit back and watch it. Really, you're accessory to murder. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they killed themselves, yes, but you did nothing about it. You let them do it. We need to... Be open about our faith. We need yes. to share share our faith with you because, again, people are running off a cliff. Yes. And you might be looking at them, think how ridiculous this would be. Oh, 
he's running towards this cliff. He's going to die. And you're like, oh, but sir. he's a really nice guy. <laughs> right. Or just the, hey, uh, sir, uh, excuse me. Hey, hey, don't, don't do that. <laughs> no, you need to be yelling at him. Tackle him. Now, yeah, don't go up and smack somebody with the Bible for sure. Of course. But yeah, don't, don't not say anything and don't whisper at him. Yeah. Just put that in the back of your mind, Austin. That's a really good topic of how how do we how do what's the best way to evangelize? Scream at people. <laughs> it's not screaming at people. Not it's not sitting on a street corner. That's not it. Yeah. But we'll get. That's a good topic. I think actually, I just thought of that. Of like, how do we how do we witness? How, I'm a, how do we show our? I'm gonna faith? start doing this every time we mention something. I'm gonna write it down. Yeah. That way we can be like, hey, we can go to the list. Yeah, we can go to the list. So anyway, just a, that was a little side tangent there because again, it's impossible to please God. If you're not, if you're living in according to the flesh, if you're not in Christ, it's impossible to please God. So these people who are good people are still running towards the cliff. No matter what we believe about predestination, which again is something we might talk about at some point, or election, whatever like that, no matter what we believe, we are told to share the gospel. We are told to have an answer, to have a defense. We are told to preach, to make disciples, to baptize. So that's what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah, you've been. We've been called to do it, so we have to do it. It was a command. It wasn't a an option. It definitely wasn't just a suggestion. It was do this. So, just as a quick side note, I mentioned to Austin today that I really want to try to start limiting some of the background noise that we have when we're doing this. I mean, if I'll do this just as an example, you touch a cord. I mean, I'm barely touching the cord. Yeah, and you can hear it. It happens, and I'm try- I try to avoid it as much as possible. I'm going to try to make a conscious effort. Uh, my dog is not making that very easy today. <laughs> so we apologize for all the noise. We're eventually going to have a studio. Maybe. No, we're not. But anyway, we'll be more professional at some point. I have a point. library. Yeah. Maybe more prof- maybe. We might move back there. They might have to move back to the library. But <laughs> then we trade dogs for children. children. <laughs> so it's, the- it's even trade. But anyway, so we apologize. This was on my mind this week. Sorry for all the background noise, but hey, uh, deal with it. All right. Anyway. <laughs> First nine, he switches again a little bit, switches tones, and kind of gets back into talking to the believer, or, or talking about believers and not about unbelievers. You know, says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So again, it's that salvific relationship between you and Christ. When you become a believer, when you accept Christ, the spirit now lives inside of you. What is happening behind me? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest is here a little early. Actually, no, we started late. He's actually on time. That is true. But anyway. Um, it's true. Yeah. So <laughs> so when you accept Christ, the spirit is within you. And again, we talked about that a second ago. The fruit is going to come out. So anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm a big uh, believer in depravity and a big believer in that there's not a single part of me that isn't touched and marred by sin. And that's exactly, I think, what Paul's talking about here. Although your body, the body is dead because of sin, it expl- sin, it explains our ailments, it explains cancer, it explains sickness, death, disease, pandemics. It explains all of these things. It's because of sin. Now, not specifically because of your sin that you committed. Did you get cancer? Or did you break your leg? Or did you, you know, come down with some sort of illness? Those exist because of sin. And our body is weak because of sin. Our body decays because of sin. The minute we are born, we start dying because of sin. Right. We are moving towards our physical bodies dying. And that is a direct result of sin. Again, I'm not saying because you said a cuss word, you got cancer, right? I'm saying those things exist because of this general idea of sin existing in the world. Yeah. And Christ, the Holy Spirit, overcomes those things. Yeah. Well, it, it is it, the only way to overcome those things. I love it because, yeah, verse 9, when it says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So, that thought of... As you have accepted Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you. Yes, yes, our mortal body, mortal bodies are still here, sinful flesh that it is. But if we have the Spirit of God within us, we are no longer of the flesh. We are of the Spirit. And that is such an awesome and beautiful thing to think of because, man, that gives me such hope. Right. It's so cool. Well, you look at the duality. Well, 
there's two different schools of thought here: the duality of man or the tri the, the triune nature of man. Are we a dual nature with flesh and spirit, or are we a triune creature with flesh, or body, soul, and spirit? That, those are semantics. I think those are kind of the same, <laughs> almost the same idea, but it's a debate. Anyway, but you look at that, just at least in the duality of, of humans, we have our human body and we have our spirit. Both are dead and decaying without Christ. But the second we get the spirit, our spiritual life, our, our spirits, our souls become alive. Yeah. Are well, no longer dead and decaying. They are alive. They aren't preparing for death like our body is. They aren't moving towards death like our body is. They're moving towards eternal life. Right. So the closer we get to Christ, the more alive our spirit becomes and the more like him we become to where ultimately when we get to heaven, we have the same spirit. Right. And we are perfect. Oh, and, and we actually get into that a little bit later, uh, verse 15 and on, the distinction of having your spirit versus like throughout scripture, love the Lord with all your heart, your soul and your mind or your might. So yeah, it might be something we get into a little bit a little bit later, but so verse 12, one of the most popular chapter set little uh sections of, of scripture I think and of Romans 8 and really one of the more exciting ones because it 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 kind of gives us that power that we need to to continue to live in this world and and to overcome the temptation and the sin. It it shows us where that power comes from. And it should excite us. It should cause gratefulness. So I'm just going to read 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, the, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There's some imagery here of slavery, of suffering. Again, another, basically a guarantee that we will suffer. Mm-hmm. Kind of tucked away in there in verse 17. But this is such an empowering s- section of pa- of scripture here. Yeah. We are adopted into this family of God. We weren't born children of God. We weren't born into his family. He chose us, he adopted us, and he said, you are mine, yeah. and we can call him father. That's why, you know, adoption and, and the foster care stuff has been so near and dear to my heart is because that is, that's the church. That's what we are. Taken in by someone who didn't have to. Yep. Taken in by someone who chose to love us. Taken in by someone who, even though we fail him, or even though we weren't his to begin with, he treats us like his own. He gives us all the blessings that he gives his family, his his own children. We are his children. Such an amazing passage. Just, we are adopted. Yeah. Well, and so, yeah, verse 15, you did not receive the spirit, lowercase s, of slavery, to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit, uppercase spirit, that is God, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit, verse 16, uppercase s, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, lowercase s, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He's chosen us. He loves us. He, he bears witness that we are his. It's not this silence. It's he, he's proclaiming. He's letting people know, these are mine. These are my children. It, and I see it kind of as that when Christ comes out of the water as John the Baptist baptizes him, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove, not as a dove, but like a dove, right. um, it, it, he's saying, these are mine, which is so cool. Yeah. And I think it, you look at verse 15 at the end of it, Abba, Father, mm-hmm. and just the word Abba and what that means. And it's the informal version of Father, similar to Daddy or Papa. So... Just for me, that one word just produces imagery of a, a small child who is afraid of a storm, and it thunders, and they go running to their daddy, and they say, Daddy, and they run to him because they know that when they are in their dad's arms, they are safe. Yeah. That thunder isn't going to get them. Right. And that's what that, just that one word elicits that imagery for me of daddy. Just run to your dad when you're afraid, and in his arms, you are safe. Yeah. But it's cool, too, because with that being Hebrew, it's Hebrew Abba, there's that reverence with it as well. And the New Testament was written in Greek, 
and it's interesting this is Hebrew. Right. So just a little little interesting. But it's yeah, it's that comfort, but it's also that reverence. As in as sons by whom we cry Abba Father, there is still reverence in the way that we speak to our Heavenly Father, and there has to be. There right. has to be that reverence. Yeah. So verse eighteen. Yeah. So this is that shift. This yep. shifts from the personal to the more universal, the more abstract, uh, the more cosmic implications of this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to re- to be revealed to us. There is nothing here on earth that we are going to suffer that is even going to compare to the glory that we are going to be shown in heaven. Just let that soak in. Yeah. And again, not... I need to quit saying again. I, I, I'm, okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it's funny when I go to edit these and I, I really listen to, cause I, you know, we, we do it and then I listen to it again. Yeah. And sometimes I listen to it a third time. If I listen to it on my, on my phone or something after it's edited, but like seeing all of our little idi- idiosyncrasies that we do our words that we kick the off things with, that we yeah. always just the repetition and the habits we form pretty interesting. The word again, I'm done. I'm not saying it anymore. That's false. Again. anyway so not trying to denote you know what people are going through the cancers the the deaths in the family stuff like that but reading this where it says for i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us just immense amount of hope yeah and that that's what we have to take that as we need to look forward to that. We do. And and I say this a lot. We say this a lot. And it feels like it's the only thing we have to say about this, but it's not. It's it's so true. It needs to be repeated over and over and over again. First of all, we're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Period. Verse 17 said it. Verse 18 is saying it again. Provided this, we suffer pro- with him. Provided we suffer with him, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. Not when if we suffer things in this present. No. The sufferings of this present time. We are going to suffer. We're going to have pain. We're going to have issues. We're going to, you know, things are not going to go our way. However, this is as close to hell as we're ever going to get. This is as bad as it gets. Your situations might continue to get worse or deteriorate or, or whatever, but just think about the worst situation you face here on earth, no matter what that is. That is as close to hell as you're going to get, period, as a believer, which is what he's saying. Well, it's, it's, it's basically even, what he's saying. Not here. even going to compare. It's not even going to compare. No, yeah. exactly. You're exactly right. And... It's that whole comparing apples and oranges. Yeah. Okay. No. No, you're comparing an apple to a Lamborghini, (laughs) if that makes sense. I mean, that's even an awful comparison. Yeah. You're comparing an avocado to a bridge. Like, it's not, it (laughs) doesn't, (laughs) yeah. Just doesn't make sense. And And, and again, don't use that word. Okay. That's not, you know, degrading what you've gone through because it's not. We are still here on earth. We're still here in this. And he calls them suffering. So he knows it hurts. He knows it's. It's painful. It's not pleasant. We ha- he has empathy and sympathy for us in these verses. It's not a get over it right. mentality. It's a yes. These things are suffering, but man, it's going to be worth it in the end. Yeah. And when you get to the end of this thing, you're going to look back and be like, I would go through all that again and then some to get to where I am today. You're not going to finish the race, cross the line, and get a participation trophy. Right. Man, you are going to be on top of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, maybe another little side note. Because I said that this is as close to hell as you get. We talked a bit a, a minute ago about the good people that are still running off the cliff. This is as close to heaven as they get. Yep. And they are going to get to the end. And just like we'll say, I would go through all that again and then some to get to where I am. They're going to get to the end and they're going to look back and say, I would do everything differently to avoid this. Yeah, I wish I could have done that to avoid this. Well, in exhibit one, <clears throat> uh, the guy that Lazarus talks to. Um, yeah. The, the guy in hell, like, he is begging just for a drop of water. Right. And he's telling him to go back and tell his family, basically, quit. Quit doing what you're doing. You need to change because this is hell. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, what does he beg for? He doesn't beg for, you know, he really doesn't even beg for salvation. He begs for a drop of water. A drop of water. That's all he wants. It's a drop of water. So, verse 19, I I thought this was interesting. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. I, I, again, pouring through this chapter, I'm like, especially these next few verses, I'm like, wow. 
for creation. That is, that is the earth, that's the trees, that's the, the animals. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Like, wow, they're waiting. They're waiting for the ones who are going to be followers of Christ to be revealed. And then verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So creation was subjected as as Adam and Eve sinned, creation was thrown into it. Right. <laughs> not willingly, they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Right. And they were thrown into this. And because of that sin, now creation cannot fulfill entirely its purpose. Yeah. Well, and and moving on, verse 21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to, corrup- to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So creation itself is waiting to be set free, waiting to be set free from the bondage of sin, of this, this earth, because of us. Looking back in Genesis, the world was given to Adam as God created them and put them in the garden. God said, have dominion over it. It's all yours. Every plant, every plant that bears seeds, everything is yours for food. The animals are yours, not not to eat at that time, but the animals were yours. They were, they had a purpose and they were given to us. We were to take care of them. But then when we sinned, it was thrown into this bondage. It says creation itself is eagerly waiting to be set free, which is mind blowing. Yeah. So to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, they're going to obtain the same glory as, not necessarily the same glory, but they're going to be free. They're going to be free like we are. Yeah, they're going to be able to fulfill their original purpose. Yes. So, in, And the new heaven and new earth will be a perfect heaven and a perfect earth. Right. Right? Where there's no death, no decay, no, you know, the lion and the lamb will lay together. Yeah. Right? There, there's no predator-prey mentality anymore. Yeah. It'll just be perfect, all for the glory of God. Right. Yeah. And so, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What does that look like? When, when I read this, I look at it as, I mean, just look at what this world goes through. Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, famines. This is all creation groaning. Groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And it will continue to do this until the end of the age. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I thought it was interesting, Look again, looking back at Genesis, when Eve is talking to the serpent. Again, th- this is just kind of where my mind went. When she's talking to the serpent, she it never shows that Eve is like, whoa, why is this serpent talking? <laughs> it yeah. almost seems like it was normal. Right. As in, okay, does that mean animals talked back then? I don't know. It it, it has me think of um, C.S. Lewis, uh, the Narnia series. Yeah. Uh, looking back, Lion, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know, all these animals are talking. And I we don't know. All, all The only thing we, we know is that she talked to the serpent, and it doesn't show anything of she thought it was weird. Right. It, it seemed normal. And then looking at, you know, creation and looking at C.S. Lewis's adaptation of it, of back during that time, the trees were alive. The trees moved. They they spoke. And it was that, almost that perfection side of things where everything they did was for truly the glory of God. Right. And then because of sin, now they are groaning, like in childbirth. Well, and, and I think in verse 23... You know, it talks about not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. When we have the Spirit in us, when we have a salvific relationship with Christ, we are now longing and groaning and desiring for this world to be perfected. Our desires should now change to, I am ready for this world to be perfect. I'm ready for my body to be delivered from sin. I'm ready for this weight of... I can't please God apart from him to be gone and taken off my shoulders because at the end of this age, our hope for the hope for in this hope, we were saved our hope, not this, 
hope of like, oh, I hope I get this new job, or I hope it's assuredness. I, I have it's assuredness. Expectation. I know that in the end, I will be perfect. Mm-hmm. In the end, this body will stop hurting. In the end, I will stop sinning. In the end, we win. And that's the hope that we are groaning for, that we are waiting eagerly for, that we are now, we want this hope to be realized. We are ready for that to happen. I'm ready for it to happen. I'm very tired of everything that's going on in this world. (laughs) Jesus, come now. Um, But until then, we got to bring as many people with us as we can, Mm -hmm. right? And I just like it. It, You know, we have have assuredness. We have hope. And it, it, you know, we'll, you know, who hopes for what he sees? If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And it's kind of, it, this kind of shows me faith is a big, plays a big role in this. And knowing that, hey, we cannot see God with our physical eyes. We can't touch him with our physical hands. But we know he's there. We know what the end goal is. We know that we will be his sons and his daughters. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 26. Yeah. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows that it is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So that first part, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Again, reminding us we can't do it on our own. That we are weak. For when I'm weak, he is strong, and I will mm-hmm. boast in my weakness because he is strong. Yeah, so that next part, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. One of the most natural ways of, I think most Christians look at this is, oh, well, well when I don't know what to say, I'll just be silent. I'll let the Spirit speak for me. It's like, yes and no. Um, there, I guess there might be a, a side to that. Again, through just through what we've read, talking about God's will. With the Spirit inside us, the Spirit is almost telling us, this is what I want. Pray for this. And that's where we have to abide in Him as He abides in us, as He abides in the Father. And Well, it, it also goes back to the work that Christ did on the cross and the sacrifice he made for us, because without Christ and without him interceding to the Father on our behalf, we have no hope. We, we have, have no hope, yeah. We're, we're done. And that's, again, what this is kind of bringing up as well, is that because Christ died for us, because we are covered in his blood, he is now basically saying, do not pour your wrath out on my people. Yeah. He is, he is interceding on our behalf. He wants well-being for us. He wants us to ultimately... Enjoy him. Right. And that's what he's interceding. That's what he's saying. He says, do not pour your wrath out on these people who deserve it because my blood's got them. Yeah. And that's what he's doing. And that and those are words that we cannot understand or comprehend. And and they're ho- they're holy words that yeah. we just we we won't know what is being said other than he is saying, Do not pour your wrath out on my people. Yeah. And the groanings that are too deep for words, that that's his will. He and again one, we know his will just based on scripture. But if we are truly, as Christ taught his disciples, your will be done, not our own. If we truly have that in our minds, then we will start to pray for that. Even though, yes, there are still, there's still room for, <laughs> um, as Philippians say, you know, bringing your, just your worries to him, um, being able to come to the Father with everything. That is very important. But, also asking, praying that his will be done and not our own. So, and then picking up with verse 27, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Just what we were talking about. He searches hearts, for he knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. God God knows his Spirit. I mean, uh, he knows exactly what he wants, and he will tell us what he wants. We need to be open to that, though. We need to have our minds and our, our our heart open to that, even as wicked and sinful as our heart is. Right. So, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And, and you know, this can be a verse that is taken out of context. It can be a verse that, that people use to say, well, everything's going to go my way. And that's not what this is saying. I mean, we, it's very vividly said in 17 and 18 that we're going to suffer. Yeah. But what this is saying is that 
for those of us who are believers, everything we go through, everything that, that happens, whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, it's going to work out for us in the end. Yeah. Maybe not on the end of this earth, mm-hmm. right? Maybe not right now. You might not get cured of cancer yeah. the way you're praying for. You might not, you know, you might struggle with depression and mental health issues your entire life and never get full relief from those. But in the end, for those who are in Christ, in the end, I don't know if it's going to make sense necessarily. I don't know if yeah. he's going to give us an understanding, but in the end, it'll be worth it, and it's yeah. going to work out for our good. Well, and it's interesting, too. It, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It A lot of people misquote that, and they say, for your good. Right. And it, it doesn't say that. Now, it's implying to the good of all of us as the bride of Christ, as towards the end of the age, everything that is going on is going to work out for all of us, as in the good, not for you at right now, but work together for good. That's that's God's will. Right. That's his good. Again, n- none of us are good except him. So at the end of the age, he is working all things out for good. So yeah, for those who are called according to his purpose, we're called for his purpose. Again, why were we created? We were put on this earth to give glory to God. We are here for His purpose and not our own. He created creation for His purpose. So, He is going to make everything work for His purpose. That's something we need to, I think, definitely keep keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. 29 and 30, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom, and those whom He predestined, He also called... And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This can get into some of the deeper and stickier topics. We're going to save that for our next uh, episode in Romans. But Just what it says. Just what it says. For those Um, whom he foreknew. Now, looking at God as, okay, he's the whole. He sees all things at all times. He's outside of time and space. Not bound by our concept of time. Yep. He knows everything. Again, he was before eternally, he will be here after eternally. He knows everything that'll happen exactly when it'll happen. Okay, that's the whole point of God being a, 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 oh goodness, omniscient and... Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. All those words. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point. He right. knows. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of God. As I don't know. I take it exactly what it says. He has predestined. So... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I don't know. Let's look at verse 30 as yeah. well. Yeah. I think he, he goes through the sanctification process in verse 30. In a very quick, succinct way, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. And it's this, you become a believer. You are in Christ. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you. He is now justifying you. Right. You have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. Yes. It's this idea that you've been saved, you are His. You are being saved, that you are becoming more and more like Him. You are being saved from your sin, from yourself on a daily basis, and then you will be saved. In the end, you will be spared the wrath that God will pour out on those who do not believe and those who are not in His, in his family. And so, therefore, we will be glorified, and we will have a, that perfect body, that perfect spirit, that we are living in perfect harmony with God as it was intended in the garden. So, right. it's that whole sanctification process right there in just one little sentence. And we're being conformed. We're not there yet. Right. We are not, as soon as you accept Christ and the Holy Spirit is within you, we're not of the image of Christ. We are supposed to look like it, but our flesh is not going to be conformed until the end of the age. And therefore, we will truly be of the image of his son. And so looking at it that way as well. So he kind of wraps up this little section here where we've we've talked for a few verses just about God's power, God's God's love, his grace, the spirit doing work inside of us, God justifying us. And then he says, "Okay, so what can we conclude from these arguments? What can we conclude from these facts of yeah. God? So what shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us?" I, again, I, I love that verse because it, it's God is fighting on our behalf. He's interceding for us. Christ is interceding on our behalf. Well, if he is doing that, the God of all creation, the one who lived a perfect life and died for our sin, if he's doing that, who can who can stop us? Right. And it's also, again, a verse taken out of context 
what have we been talking about this whole thing? It's about His will. It's about what God wants. So, if God is for us, who can be against us? That mentality of, oh, well, God's for me. Yeah, who can be against me? Sure. But if you are not living according to the Spirit, if you are not living according to His will, and you're living towards the flesh, God's not for you. Right. It's a, it, He doesn't want to have anything to do with you. He desires for you to be saved, but the flesh cannot please God. So, therefore, if you are living in the flesh, God is not for you. But if you are living according to the Spirit, doing His will, then yes, this verse is for you. Right. If God is for us, who exactly. can be against us? Yeah. Verse 32, you know, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he is going to go to the extent and go to the lengths of sending his own son to die on our behalf, how much more then will he take care of us when we are his? Yes. He's, he's going to take care of us. Yeah, that was before we were saved. Right. He sent us as... While we were still sinners. As we were his enemy. Yeah. We yeah. were still hostile to God and in in, in everything about him. He still died. So how much more now that we are not hostile to him? And now that we are of received the spirit of adoption, and now that we are sons of God, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Right. What more will he do? Well, it's the prodigal son, right? Yeah. It's the kill the fatted calf for the wayward child that has come home. Mm-hmm. It's the give him the ring, give him, you know, give him a party, throw a party for the wayward son that's come home. We don't deserve that. No. But because he loves us that much we we he he lavishes us with that love again don't hear us saying prosperity gospel don't hear Mm -hmm. us saying that no troubles no but if he is for us and if we are in him who can be against us who can bring any charge against us who condemns us if god if the god of the universe the holy perfect righteous god whose perfection or whose standard is perfection if he justifies us who can condemn us Mm -hmm. no one no one absolutely not Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So who's going to separate us from that love? And he just goes through this list of, of what can separate us through from Christ's love. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. And again, verse 36, he's quoting... Um, Psalms 44, verse 22. Thank you. I had it and I lost <laughs> it. He's quoting Psalm 44, again, guaranteeing suffering in this life. We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We are going to go through persecution, famine, distress, nakedness, danger, sword. We're going to go through these things. But no. Verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He has overcome these issues. In Revelation, it says he will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more crying, no more death, no more pain. We are more than conquerors through him. It's going to happen in this earth, but we will overcome it eventually. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And verse 38, 39, wrapping this up, we kind of sped through for time's sake the, the rest of this chapter, but I, I don't want to, don't want you to miss this. Verse 38, verse 39, two of my favorite verses of the entire, uh, the entire Bible. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be, will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is our hope. Yeah. That is our hope that in these times of suffering, these times of trial, tribulation, famine, distress, nakedness, disease, war, pandemics, whatever the case may be, nothing separates us from God's love. Well, yeah, nothing separates us from God's love. And referencing John 10, verse 28 through 30, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That's hope. That's hope. In the purest sense. And that's what Romans 8 is. It's less about, because throughout a lot of what we've talked about in these last few chapters in Romans has been very much like humans are terrible. (laughs) We are unable to please God. We are wretched human beings. Verse Romans 8 kind of shifts a little bit and focuses on God and who he is and his power, his love, his grace, his might. And we're going to see some of that throughout the next few chapters that we go through of now we're getting into God's character yeah, and who God is and how, how we relate to him. And so it becomes a lot more, a lot less depressing in a sense of we're not focusing on ourselves and how we fail. We're going to focus on God and how he overcomes. Yeah. And we're going to focus on how 
because of our weakness, he is strong. And because of our failures, he succeeds. And he he wins. Yeah. And we win if we're in Christ. So, yeah. any final thoughts? Are you good? I'm good. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to Romans 8. I hope that was encouraging. Um, it was encouraging to me going through it this week. And um, I hope you take away just hope and hope that, you know, God is for us. If we are in him, God is for us. Mm-hmm. And we have that power and that strength to overcome these obstacles, overcome our sin, overcome the temptation that we're going to face and the suffering we're going to face. We can persevere through those things because we have God on our side. doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen. It just means that we have the one that can fight those things for us and get us through them and come out, come out on the other side closer to him and more like him. So just be thinking about that this week. Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. That's right. Yeah, just remember that one. Just remember that, guys. So we're going to come back on Thursday, have just kind of a lighter topic, and just uh, enjoy some time with one of our special guests, emphasis on special, who is sitting behind me right now, probably glaring at me. I can't see him. But uh, there we go. (laughs) So we're going to be excited for that. Come back to us. uh, Romans 9 next week. We're excited to get into that and dive into the sovereignty of God. Uh, In the meantime, stay stay rooted. rooted, San Diego. No, come on, man. Thank you for listening to our show. If you enjoyed what you heard, like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. You can find us on Apple, Google, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, at Rooted in Logos Pod, or even on our website, www.rootedinlogospod.com. And if you want to support us financially, visit us at patreon.com slash rootedinlogos.com.